welcome to the Insurance Post podcast. I'm Emma Ann Hughes, editor of Insurance Post, and today I'm joined by LexisNexis Risk Solutions Kajal Vakas, Axis Stefan Elks, and Alliance Commercials Nick Kelsall to talk about how the cost of living crisis is impacting motor insurance. Today on the Insurance Post podcast, I'm pleased to be joined by Kajal Vakas, Senior Manager of Claims at LexisNexis Risk Solutions Insurance UK and Ireland. Stefan Elks, Head of Retail Claims Operations at AXA, and Nick Kelsall, Head of Motor Claims at Alliance Commercial. They're going to share their views on how motor insurance policyholders are feeling the pinch in their pocket and how that's impacting the motor insurance industry. Hi, Kajal, Stefan and Nick. Welcome to the Insurance Post podcast. Hello, Emma. Hi, Emma. Hi, Emma. So, Nick, um, what do motor insurance claims reveal about the impact the cost of living crisis is already having on motor insurance policyholders? I think it's a, it's a very common um, problem across society right now at the moment. So it's not just specific to motor insurance, but the, the general cost of living is impacting everyone through supply chain to general cost of living of buying food and groceries. Right. So, so we feel the the, the pinch as well in our in our insurance industry. Um, we're seeing inflating costs in wages um, throughout the supply chain, and as we're looking to obviously repair vehicles, we're seeing a rising cost in um, obtaining materials. So I think where it's impacting the public um, is longer key-to-key time, longer repair times, and, and, and what we're trying to do at Alliance to, to, to mitigate that um, is really encourage our customers to work with us, um, encouraging the use of green parts, repair over, over replace, um, and generally feeling the, the the pinch with the wider society um we you know within the insurance sector um stefan are you seeing similar things coming through in terms of claims yeah i mean we certainly are um, and i'd agree with everything that, that nick's already said i think you know on top of that from a claims perspective we, we've certainly seen an uptick in theft claims um and not just attributed to the cost of living crisis but certainly across the last 12 months or so um and I also think we are seeing the level of cover dropping slightly in, in some cases. So although a lot of customers are happy to, to pay a rolling premium for the same level of cover, we're, we're certainly seeing um, people choosing uh, a different level of cover to suit their financial needs at the moment. But as Nick said, we're, you know, we're trying to do everything possible at AXA to support our customers um, and quite frequently asking them to reach out to us if they need financial support. Kajal, is that some, a trend you're also seeing? Uh, very much so. Completely agree with everything that Nick and Stephen have just mentioned. Um, another thing we're also seeing is where the cost of actually fulfilling a claim is increasing, that is resulting in, in cases of underinsurance. Um, and it could be from simple things like the cost of replacing a car seat, not quite being covered now by the the limit of the coverage on the policy or even a full rebuild cost where construction has uh, or the cost of constructing have increased exponentially so a project that might start um, you know uh, month one and finish on month nine the actual cost of rebuild has gone up by 50 to 60 percent from what the initial reserve or estimate even was so there's an impact on policyholders in terms of um, being undercovered and underinsured, but also on the insurers of, of the initial estimates and reserving that they're putting on a claim and then what that actually ends up um, finalising in. So just at the point they're feeling a bit cash-strapped, perhaps having to dig out more cash themselves to cover the cost of that claim. Absolutely. So um, in terms of, uh, as a result, what impact is that having... Um, inflation? What impact is inflation having on the nature of the cover that's selected by policyholders? 
Um, Kajala, are you seeing that they're opting for more basic cover as a result? So I think in terms of the type of cover they're taking, what we are actually seeing at the moment is excess values are increasing. So where a policyholder might have previously taken out comprehensive policy, they're paying or they're agreeing to a higher excess value than they would have done traditionally. Um, and what that might result in is uh, policyholders not therefore claiming for the damage to their vehicle. Whereas if they're in a fault claim, the third party's claim would still get covered. But because their excess is so high and either they can't afford to pay it or there's no monthly premium plan for excesses as there is for premiums, um, they're just opting not to, to have their vehicle um, repaired or, or um, put through that fulfillment cycle. Another thing we are seeing as well is insurers are encouraging, I think, now cash settlements because what that helps insurers do is keep to the estimated cost rather than waiting to see what it actually ends up at um, once all the repair or, or rebuild or whatever's done. Um, but that also means that customers don't have to pay an excess and instead it's decreased from their, their settlement, which is easier for them to, to manage than have to pay the excess up front. Um, I had a home claim recently, my excess was £375. So that's quite a high value to have to pay up front for any claim. Um, but however, that being said, that could also lead to more fraud. So for example, um, if you're taking a cash settlement, how does the insurer actually know that you're using that money to indemnify uh, yourself in, in the state of repairing or replacing that damaged item, you could just be pocketing the cash instead. And what could that potentially result in in future years? So are we going to see more pre-existing damage fraud happening later? Um, because there's no real understanding or documentation of exactly what got claimed for, what got paid for, and therefore is somebody trying to reclaim for that damage with another insurer later on? Um, so I think there will be a lot of consequences of some of these actions. Stefan, what, what are you seeing in terms of the nature of um, cover that people are selecting? I think from a, a general motor insurance perspective, we're, we're definitely seeing customers uh, take more time at both policy inception and policy renewal um, stages. So people are definitely shopping around more, whether that's directly linked to the cost of living crisis. I'm not 100% sure. It, you know, we don't have all of the data yet. But I think the, the other part of it is that we are seeing... Um, so we, for example, we have a telematics uh, proposition that we're working on um, that notifies us of claims that happen um, often before a customer will tell us. And actually what we're seeing in that space is that um, we believe that some customers are driving around in, in damaged vehicles because they don't necessarily want to report. And the other thing that we're seeing is we're seeing a lot of third parties reporting incidents before our customers do at times, and that's definitely seen an increase of around 5 to 6% over the last few months. So. In terms of level of cover, I would say that the majority of customers that we're seeing at the moment are relatively happy to pay a rolling price if that premium doesn't increase. Um, and obviously we're doing everything we can to, to ensure our prices remain really competitive. We have seen a little bit of movement between you know different star covers, um, so to, to downgrade a little bit. And we're also seeing some of our add-ons being removed. So things like courtesy car upgrade to, for a like-for-like like -like like vehicle that would you know potentially be a customer's need we are seeing that um you know that change slightly to to, to make the premium lower so we're definitely seeing a lot of that as well so stefan touching on one of the points that you raised there in terms of people driving around in damaged cars do you think one of the motivations of that is that they're they'd rather drive around with a car with damage than risk basically the premium being pushed up um, next time they come to renew 
it could be a case of that. It's, it's obviously very anecdotal at the moment, but but it could also be to avoid paying an excess cost. Um, so it's, again, it's very hard to, to to pinpoint just yet because obviously as time moves on, we, we will receive more data and we'll, we'll be able to do more analytics. Um, but there's definitely a feel that that's, that's happening, yeah. Mm. Nick, what impact are you seeing inflation having on the nature of cover that's been selected by policyholders? I think it's slightly different in the commercial space. Um, you know, if we factor in what business is there to do, it's you know it's to, it's to grow, be competitive, and and make money. And I think when we are talking to our customers about the value proposition, um, it needs to be bigger than just the the, the premium um, that, that, that's being paid. Um, so you know I think you think about making businesses competitive, and and you know our sort of mantra um, at Alliance is sort of supporting our customers in in, in life and business. Um, we feel like the claims value proposition is, is is a key factor in that. So, some of the things we're looking to do to support our coverage to you know try and combat some of the things that I think you've seen, Stephanie, is you know excess excess incentives um, for use of um, approved repair networks, which gives us a bit more control and um, and enables us to put customers back in vehicles more more quickly, which gets them mobile again, um, which obviously means that they can they can run their business. Um, more effectively and then compete on, on on their price. So I think we're we're looking to sell the proposition as a as a true partner in business, um, whereby taking a bit of a shortcut on a, on on a product probably isn't the right thing to do for your for your for your your business strategy. I mean, in terms of business strategy, recently we've seen Ticker launch a paper mile product and Marmalade offering pay-as-you-go for new drivers. Stefan, is this a sign of things to come in the current economic climate? I think that's a very good question. Um, so I think motor insurance direct, uh, definitely in the retail space um, or in the direct space has been very traditional for a long period of time. And we are seeing a lot as I mentioned previously, we've seen a lot of telematics propositions, black black box propositions, and the ones that you mentioned there. So yes, I think there's a need and a and a, and a start to move to a, a more modern, um, you know, product offerings, service offerings, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and, and price offerings actually. Um, so you know, just for example, we we've launched Moja, um, driven by AXA, um, and that is a very basic core product with the ability to add. Um, add optional extras on um, and we're seeing that perform really really well um, you know certain demographics prefer it because it's it's very online it's very web based it's very app based um, but we're definitely seeing a, a good uptick in that um, and people are starting to choose that type of cover in terms of exactly what they need rather than what they don't need I think what was previously mentioned was the the need to ensure that we're not underinsuring our customers and our customers know exactly what they're buying and what their needs are. So it's very important that we continue, um, you know, understanding the demands and needs for, of our customers and building products to, to suit that. Um, but we are definitely seeing more modern products entering the market. Um, I think there's probably a behavioral change that we need to, to support our customers with to helping them understand what's changing um, and how it benefits them. Jao, would you agree that there's a need there for perhaps these types of products and they are potentially a sign of things to come? Absolutely. I think um, actually LexisNexis uh, did do some research on non-annualised policies um, and we found that one in three purchasers on motor insurance would be interested in buying a non-annualised policy. 
Um, and that's simply because the way we live and the way we drive and, and the way we're mobile has changed um, initially from the pandemic. So, you know, working from home, not going out as much as we used to, um, using online retailers rather than going to the stores, etc. But also because people are a lot more aware now of their environmental footprint. Um, and we seem to have moved into this subscription era in all areas of our life from, um, you know, the way we entertain ourselves to the way we, we order food and you know, everything we kind of do is moved to, to a subscription model. Um, we've, we're seeing a lot of ride share. We're seeing that uh, public transport links are improving. And in fact, Emma, you and I were talking about improved transport links in London just, just before this podcast. Um, we're seeing the, the increased use of things like e-scooters, e-bikes, etc. So there is a, a notion towards almost subscription ability. So there's no wonder that people will be questioning the need to pay for and maintain a vehicle and pay for insurance and all the rest of that. Um, and we have actually found as well that 15% of people recently have admitted that they will provide inaccurate information to their insurer at a point of quote in order to get a reduced premium. So I think that really um, states the importance of uh, needing the data or the relevant data at the right point in the journey to be able to price accurately. So things like being able to look at market-wide information on people's claims history and more granular data on um, their behaviour. In fact, more research that LexisNexis did did find that somebody that had um, three or more motor claims is more likely to have a home insurance claim as well, um, and the value of their claim would be higher than had they not had those motor claims. So being able to use the right data to predict risk, to ensure your pricing accurately is really, really important. That being said, a lot of these new products are aimed at younger drivers. So the subscription type of products are aimed at younger drivers. And younger drivers don't necessarily have the data footprint that older drivers have. Um, and because, I mean, they've just not had that head start on generating that data, you know, like if you look at traditional data that insurers may use, such as CCJs or time at address, etc., you just won't find that level of um, deep data on younger drivers as you do on older. So it's it, it will be quite important for insurers to start thinking about alternative data and alternative um, enrichment they can run on these younger drivers to ensure they're pricing them correctly, to ensure the premiums are accurate, to avoid underinsurance and fraud and um, going forward. Mm. I mean, Nick, obviously in uh, different dynamics in the commercial space, but um, I mean, just as in terms of the pandemic, my gosh, I've never seen so many Amazon vans out on the road, quite frankly. <laughs> so is there interest in a kind of move to a subscription pay-as-you-go type model in the commercial space? I think each customer base is will have a different view on it, um, and I think you know what we're looking to do at, at Alliance is is offer an element of flexibility, but also simplicity. Um, and the more complicated you make products, um, the difficult, the harder they are to service. Right? You need more data. You need to. You'll have different processes. You'll you'll inevitably put some sort of failure demand into your processes because they are flexible and not consistent. So I think there's an element of when we're speaking to commercial customers at the point of product design and and, and, and product pricing and product service, that all the options are fully discussed. Um, And I think some models of flexibility will lend themselves to some commercial customers, some elements of, of, of simplicity and that 
overall safety net, you know, which knows I am covered for every eventuality um, in business, um, you know, I think carries a great value. Mm, definitely. Obviously, given the cost of um, living crisis is causing more people, as you've touched on, to you know look at make doing and mending than they have done in the past, is breakdown cover more essential than ever? Kajal, would you say, say it was? I think there's two sides to this to this um, view. Actually, uh, we've seen a survey from Motorpoint that shows 2,000 UK drivers um, have cars that are over 10 years old. Um, and and so for sort of that kind of demographic, something like breakdown cover would be absolutely essential because you run the risk of of you know going somewhere and your car breaking down. Um, however, on the other hand, I think there is also an argument that breakdown cover might be a bit of a luxury for some, especially those that have had to dip into rainy day savings in order to be able to manage and maintain vehicles that they absolutely need as essential to be able to go out and work. So like sort of almost the working poor, um, as it were. So I think there's there's probably two sides to that. There's you know a group of people that will say, yes, it's an absolute essential. And there's others that will say, it's a luxury and I just can't afford it. Stefan, what's your thoughts in the current climate? I compl- completely agree with Kajal. Um, you know, there's two, two sides to that, uh, or two sides to this, this, this question, this discussion. Uh, the first one being, I think some of it is based on experience. So I always um, take breakdown cover because of previous experiences. You know, when you're stuck on the side of the M1 in the pouring down rain, trying to change a, uh, a tyre, you know, it's um, it's a pretty horrific experience from experience. So, so you know, I would always choose to to take breakdown cover, but I think actually, if you link it in with the cost of living crisis, um, it's probably the first thing that would go. It's probably at the moment the first thing that would, um, you know, that would be removed from a policy or 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 not 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 added on. Um, but again, I think it really does depend on experience. You know, individuals, financial circumstances. Um, and actually, I think there's a you know there's there's a there's a responsibility for us as insurers to ensure that again our customers are fully aware when they incept or when they renew what that means for them um, to either include or or disclude from from policies. So I think this will I think this will develop over the next six to twelve months, um, and again we'll we'll receive more and more data, um, and we'll see more and more data around experience. But I do believe it, it, it will continue to be based on customer choice, not necessarily always linked to financial circumstances. But that's definitely having an impact at the moment. Stefan, I feel your pain, but mine was on the M11. And I can <laughs> promise you I did not try to do do my own tyre. Straight on the phone for the breakdown cover. Um, December was a landmark month um, as for the first time electric vehicle registrations outperformed sales of new petrol cars. Could, but could the cost of living crisis hamper EV insurance moving from being seen as a niche market or is it still full steam ahead for it going mainstream? Nick, what's your thoughts on that? I think it's full steam ahead if I'm being honest with you. I think um, the overall benefit of EVs when you factor in everything together, so you know, slightly higher purchase price, probably insurance cost and, and getting a PowerPoint, you know, then the cost per mile benefit of that, throwing in with the social responsibility, um, I think it's full steam ahead. Um, in, in the commercial space, you know, you're gonna, you can't buy a, 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 
a combustion engine from 2030, which is two lease, lease cycles. So when you put it into that context in terms of commercial insurance and commercial vehicles, it's, it, it's, it's, it's right around the corner. Um, and I'd encourage everyone to, to, to really start thinking, if you're not thinking about it now, to start thinking about it, because it, it is going to happen. It will make a, a difference to how you manage a fleet, um, not to the extent of the past where, where a charge now is comparable to, to, to a full tank of, of, of petrol or, or diesel. Um, but I think it's full steam ahead. I wouldn't let the cost of living crisis deflect your thoughts and strategy around moving to a, an EV fleet. Kajal, would you agree still full steam ahead for EV? I do agree that it's full steam ahead in terms of um, I don't think people are being put off by the price. Um, in fact, there have been reports of declining com- combustion engine vehicles as opposed to EVs. Um, AutoVista has reported that the price for combustion engine vehicles is almost exactly trailing annual inflation rates, whereas prices for EVs has been a lot more moderate. Um, and it's not because the manufacturers are you know, not being hit by inflation for the, the bits for the battery and for the bits for the EVs. It's, I think it's because they're actually just choosing to place the pain onto the combustion engine vehicles rather than onto the EVs. Because somebody that buys a brand new combustion engine vehicle is probably doing it because they have to, and therefore they will accept that price rise. Whereas somebody who's buying an EV now has a lot more choice and they're probably a lot more price sensitive because they can go elsewhere and maybe get that vehicle or a similar type of vehicle a little bit cheaper. Um, so I think that the the manufacturers are um, you know pricing those EVs a lot more competitively um, and that will drive sort of that that continuation of um, adoption of EVs. That being said, I think with new EVs being released and launched, that could also alter sort of average prices and and things like that. So again, I think um, it it won't be the price that's going to turn people away from them. I think it's actually the road infrastructure and the general infrastructure of of the UK in enabling drivers to use EVs longer term and more regularly, um, because I think as it stands at the moment, there's not as as strong an argument to use them with the infrastructure not quite enabling that usage. Stefan, would you agree it's less about the cost of living crisis possibly derailing it than, you know, the ability of the UK's road network to support e- widespread EV use? Yeah, I'd agree with both Nick and Kajal on, on the points they've made so far. I think... I think it's you know certainly for me as a uh, as a as a consumer it still feels a little nuanced at the moment um, you know purchasing an, an EV I should I should sit here and say I own an EV I, I don't um, but I've certainly started to look at that uh, but I do feel it still feels a little nuanced um, so if you think about some of the manufacturers that like for like um, there's definitely a, definitely a clear um, price differential. I think more needs to be done to support the upfront costs. So we've talked about subscription, we've talked about you know different modern pricing models. I think there needs to be more to um, price in more customers into the EV markets. So that is where the, the, the cost of living crisis comes in for me. So rather than a huge upfront cost, actually more of a subscription based model could work. Um, and I think there's still, you know, there's still a lot of unknowns about EV, a lot of myths, a lot, a lot of things to bust. Um, and, and again, we as insurers need to ensure that we have products that, that, that match the, the increase in EVs being sold, um, which is something that we are, we are working on, on AXA and I'm sure uh, other insurers are as well. So I definitely think it's full steam ahead. 
I do think the infrastructure is improving. Um, so so if, if I look around where I live, the number of charging points, the number of repair shops, etc., that that now accept EVs has dramatically improved. But there needs to be a lot more done. And just to Nick's point around 2030, there needs to be a lot more done at haste. Um, and, I, and I do think the government needs to pr- provide more support in really rolling this out across the UK. Can I just, just add to, just, just quickly on that, because I think there's some really good points there. I think companies that have got sort of ESG and sustainability at the core of their of their ethos, um, we're seeing a lot of sac- salary sacrifices now for upfront purchases of EVs, which I think is, is supporting that. Government have, re- have extended their reduced benefit in kind um, linked to electronic, electronic vehicles as well. And I think your product point is, is, is a really solid one in that, you know, at Alliance and, and LV, we own a company called Electrics. And this is a this is about, because of that step into the unknown, it's a, a one-stop sh- sh- fits all where you buy your product, you get your charging point, and that'll help you source a vehicle. So I think it is just trying to move society into the right direction, but um, I, I think we'll, we'll get there, I'm, I'm certain. I'm heading in that dire- AV direction by the sounds of it. Now, despite what Kajal said earlier about the fact that I, I'd like to say my good commute today is not necessarily indicative of all of my commutes, and obviously in the current climate we've also got train strikes um, and lots of people having to rely on their cars perhaps more to get them to work um, than they have done in the past. So could the cost of living crisis finally result in more motorists seeing the value of car insurance rather than making their purchase purely based on price. Stefan, do you think it'll shift the dial? In in time, I think it will shift the dial. I think, what again, what we're seeing at the moment is where, where our economic climate is, um, people are still making a lot of decisions based on price. So not always necessarily checking that the, the level of cover that they have um, is right for their needs. Um, and unfortunately, in some cases, or fortunately, in some cases, some some drivers may never have a claim. Some drivers may have multiple claims. But effectively, we're talking about a one in five year event, potentially, on, on average. So actually, at, at times, it, it's, it's only at that point of claim when you need to use the product that you find out whether it does suit your needs or not. Um, and, you know, I've got recent examples, but but I won't go into specific specifics. Um, where we've really supported certain customers because the level of cover they required when they came to claim meant put them in a vulnerable position. Um, so we've stepped in and helped. But so I think in in, in time, um, you know, we've talked about modern products and services. We've talked about um, subscription services. I think there's a lot of change to come, um, and there's a lot of tailoring that we as insurance companies do to tailor our products to what our customers need in modern times and, and as we continue to go through through modern times. So um, I hope that answers the question. Um, I think at the moment it really is still about price and that's definitely what we are seeing. Um, and we are seeing, uh, certainly at points of renewal for example, we are seeing more than ever our customers ask us whether we can do anything about price, um, running through products in detail to see if there's any add-ons, et cetera, that can be removed. And as I said, we've, we've built our Mojo product to almost reverse that and start from the ground up in terms of a very core basic product with, with add-ons to, to try and reach a, a certain price point that works. So short term, no. Longer term, definitely yes. I think, and obviously with the FCA and their consumer duty and a focus on fair, fair value, it'll be interesting to see if that also put, um, causes things to progress in that direction. Kajal? Do you agree? 
Uh, somewhat, yes. I think I think value means something different to different people. Um, in my opinion, value is being able to make full use of a purchase. That could be through the event of a claim, as uh, Stephen was mentioning, or it could just be the peace of mind that you are covered in all eventualities. But I do think that people will start questioning, consumers will start questioning, um, paying for coverages that they just don't need. So, for example, I think a lot of home insurance policies come with, for example, tree fall cover like if a tree fell on your property or something but if there's no trees in your vicinity why are you paying for a coverage that you're just never going to make use of um, I think similarly there's a level of almost over coverage so you'll see a lot of people have mobile phone cover or gadget cover just from their their um, bank from their accounts they have with their bank so you don't need that additional cover on your on your home insurance so I think the ability to be able to kind of personalize and tailor make pick and choose the type of coverages you want is where we're really going to see the value of that peace of mind of being covered for exactly what you need and not having to pay for coverages you don't need. Nick in the commercial space is the conversation already there at value as opposed to price? It is but uh, but I'd agree with this personalized but simple product I think is 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 where we're at so at Allianz we've created sort of building blocks so you pick the building blocks of the product that you want and and then you've got simplified processes that sit, sit behind that and you know less data capture but more valuable data in terms of identifying fraud and the like um, I think in terms of we're talking about value um, I think if you're buying a commercial product you probably will use that You'll either use it for peace of mind, um, risk management, risk mitigation, or you will have a claim on a commercial product because your your, your fleet and your 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 insurable interests are, are more varied and vast, I guess. So then I think service does have a higher value, um, and any commercial customer that has had a claim that has been frustrated or not paid or you know resulted in 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 a, a lack of business you soon lose trust in that insurer um, and that product um and for me i think it's that, that there this there is a high focus in the commercial space on the service proposition from claims peace of mind risk management risk mitigation um, and avoidance i guess so clearly a time for the industry to demonstrate the value of the cover that um, motor insurance customers are getting. That brings us to the end of this episode of the Insurance Post podcast. I'd like to thank Kajal, Stefan and Nick for joining us and sharing their insight on the impact the cost of living crisis is having on motor insurance. As always, also thanks to you for listening to the Insurance Post podcast. If you enjoy our show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing to Insurance Post and following us on Facebook, LinkedIn and Twitter. Make sure you come back next week for a discussion about how to achieve a successful merger in insurance. Until then, this is Emran Hughes signing off. The Insurance Post podcast is a product of InfoPro Digital.